Welcome to the ASU Fall Media Day edition of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. Got an awesome uh, episode for you, chock full of special guests. And I, I don't see any point in wasting time, so let's jump right into it. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. We are officially eight practices in uh, for the, the, the fall camp, fall practice session for Arizona State University. They were not able to go to Camp T because of weather, so they have stayed down in the valley, conducted all of their practices in the evening uh, at the Kajikawa Field. Uh, outside the, the the practice bubble there, and I've been able to attend seven of those, as well as today's uh, ASU Fall uh, Media Day, where they took the time to uh, take some marketing photos with the players, and then let some of the players that came through uh, do some TV and radio interviews. Uh, DevilsDigest.com right now just has a truckload of content. They they were able to uh, we I guess I'm part of Devils Digest, but. Uh, you know, we were we were able to sit down with Sandy Charles, Hoderbino, uh, Jordan K. Able to sit down with so many players. There's so many great stories coming. But I also wanted to supplement that coverage with uh, with a podcast, and I was able uh, to talk to three Arizona State Sun Devils that I feel like are going to have a very positive impact this year. Um, cornerbacks: Taron Adams, uh, defensive back Demonte King, and then Stephen Miller, who's a redshirt uh, junior offensive lineman originally from Gilbert, Arizona, who's going into his third year uh, as a starter on ASU's offensive line. So we're going to get a chance to talk to all three of them uh, and, and have them share their stories with you. Uh, highly, highly, highly recommend um, sticking around for that last Stephen Miller interview. He's not much of a talker, but he, uh, him and I hung out for about 15 minutes, and he had a lot to say about the offensive line. And as any football fan knows, uh, so goes the offensive line, so goes the season. So a lot of weight is on Stephen Miller's shoulders when actually um, that, that guy's actually lost a lot of weight uh, this offseason. So Make sure that you stay tuned for all the player interviews. Uh, three really, really great interviews. Uh, if I do say so myself, uh, one thing ASU has always done is uh, brought in a lot of interesting personalities. Um, and, 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 and I really appreciate Mark Brand and, and uh, everybody else associated with Arizona State for making them available to the media today, as well as giving us so much unprecedented access in today's day and age to the players as they've been out at fall practices. If you haven't yet caught up on uh, Devil's Junkie podcast episodes, there was actually a couple of, uh, of, of mini episodes um, that I put out in the last two weeks. Uh, one was a Pac-12 Media Day recap with a, an interview with Nikhil Harry, uh, which I then turned around and turned into a story on Devil's Digest on on how he's just aiming to be a better person. Highly recommend heading over to Devil's Digest and and making sure you get, get a chance to read that article. And then uh, about a week ago, I published an episode, uh, an interview with Traylon Smith and just talking a little bit about fall practice thus far. Um, the Traylon Smith interview was absolutely fantastic, so if you get a chance to check that out, those you can both find um, at devilsdigest.com or at podbean.com or at podbean.com slash devilsjunkie. You can always subscribe on iTunes. Uh, every time I listen to a podcast, they're telling people to leave a review uh, on iTunes. I mean, that'd be cool, but to be honest, I don't care. I'm going to do these podcasts either way. So one star, five star, doesn't matter to me. We're going to give a five star effort every time. So um, let's get into a little bit of what's going on at fall camp. I'm going to answer some of your questions. I had asked for 
questions um, on Twitter as well as on the Devil's Digest forums, and I got a few really good ones. Um, but I just wanted to make note of, uh, of uh, a couple of the interesting things that have happened at some of the fall practices since I last recorded a, a podcast. And again, you, you can get a lot of this information on devilsdigest.com um, as as we're going. I made those premium articles, so you need a membership for those. Um, but uh, uh, fall practices four and five. Haven't had a chance to talk about fall practices four and five. One of the interesting things about fall practices four and five, which took place Tuesday, August 7th, uh, and Thursday, August 9th, is that uh, Ray Anderson, athletic director Ray Anderson, was out there for both of those. And it is just incredibly evident how great of a relationship he has with his lifelong friend, uh, Herm Edwards. It's just such an easygoing, they were, they, especially that Tuesday practice, you know, they, they were joking around, jovial. They probably spent 40 minutes at the beginning of practice talking while everybody else, you know, got warmed up and everything. And then Ray Anderson was out there on Thursday, August 9th, proudly looking on as Matt Berry, uh, Sun Devil alum Matt Berry, is part, you know, part of the Sports Center cast. Uh, was out here on special assignment interviewing Herm Edwards, his former ESPN colleague. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's been interesting to see the increased presence of Ray Anderson around practice. Ultimately, you know, this is his show. This is this is what he built and this is what he's after. So, you know, why wouldn't he want to be around it? Why wouldn't he he um, he be, you know, proud to, to see how this is progressing? Uh, a couple of the other things from, from uh, those practices uh, is it just becomes more and more evident every single day um, that some of the stars of the 2018 iteration of the Arizona State Sun Devils football team are going to be junior college uh, players here in their first year, like running back Isaiah Floyd, uh, like wide receiver Brandon Ayuk. Um, that's... You know, that's definitely um, something I can say with absolute confidence that you're going to see them do some special things this year. You know, will they be at the level of, you know, other junior college transfers that came over in their first year, like Kobe Williams, like Tim White? I don't know. Um, You know, you never know until they're out there for the games. But I tell you what, in practice, they look like absolute stars. Um, uh, A couple other things. It looks like the quarterback number three. Uh, position, which you have to be concerned about if you're an Arizona State University fan because they've been recent seasons where you've had to use more than two quarterbacks. Uh, but walk-on Iowa Western transfer Kurt Walden, I think, is pretty much locked up that number three quarterback spot for now. Um, you know, some of his throws were actually Division One quality, especially to Brandon Ayuk. Uh, he might not set the world on fire, but, you know, he's certainly not without some talent. So if they enter into an emergency situation where they have to have a walk-on redshirt sophomore quarterback, Obviously, that doesn't bode well for Arizona State, but I don't think they'll fall completely off of a cliff. So that is good information to have. Um, uh, from those practices, you know, and I think it's since been righted by kicker Brandon Reese, but he was definitely having some issues early on in fall practice. I think it's important to, you know, to, to make a note that he's been putting a lot of backspin on the ball, really getting underneath it. Um you know, and I, I don't know what that really comes from. I'm not necessarily sure what his methodology is, you know. I know sometimes you, you see him out there drilling 60 yarders, and who knows if that throws off his rhythm or what's going on. But it feels like in the last few practices, he's been able to get some of uh, his issues kicking the football resolved, which Arizona State's really going to need this year. I think they're going to need to really depend heavily um, on Brandon Reese. Um, a couple other notes. Uh Ryan Kelly, uh, he attended his first practice uh, last Thursday, August 9th. His shoulder surgery is going to keep him out till at least mid-October, which is why we're even talking about, you know, third-string quarterback Kurt Walding in the first place. Uh, you know, I don't know if coaches really have faith in the fact that Ryan Kelly is going to come back. I know that Ryan Kelly is going to try, 
you know, his darndest to get there. So um, that's something to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, it, you know, I, I'm not somebody that would ever count out Ryan Kelly. Uh, you know, I was at his first ever varsity start. You know, that guy got sacked by uh, Cade Van Raphorst, uh, Van Rapper's son, on his first ever drop back. Just absolutely blown up. Uh, and then, you know, got back up and threw two touchdowns, ran for two more, and won the game. So, uh, you know, that's somebody that I would never look at and say, you, you know, you're you're down, you're out. And I think that uh, – I think the ASU fans should expect for him to come back and really give it a go. Uh, let's see. Some of the other information, some of the more recent practices, especially Saturday night's uh, open scrimmage um, that I thought were kind of interesting. First of all, I want to say that uh, one of the things that's sticking out the most to me right now is that ASU has access to Kevin Mawai for all these practices. You know, he's not like directly coaching the players or anything, but before every practice, an eight-time pro bowler, and I mean, if the NFL ever considered putting centers in the Hall of Fame, he'd certainly be there. Um, but, you know, they have access to this eight-time pro bowler and former NFL PA president uh, that's out there just kind of giving them football and life advice. And, I mean, that's the juice that Ray Anderson was hoping to bring to the program when he paid a hefty price to fire a head coach whose foundation kind of started at the high school level in order to replace him with someone whose Rolodex was just overflowing with NFL contacts in Herm Edwards. Uh, and I think Kevin Y is just I, – I think the benefit that he brings to the table is something that uh, that we don't talk often enough about. Um a couple of the players that I feel like have really been standing out the last two fall practices. Alex Lasoya, uh, left guard, he's really holding down the spot that a lot of people think Zach Robertson's going to come and steal from him eventually. But so far, he's doing everything right. And, you know, maybe he doesn't give that job back. He's like I said, I wrote on devilsdigest.com, he's doing the right kind of holding right now. Um, another surprise, Curtis Hodges, six foot seven, Curtis Hodges, um, you know, I, who I'm sure that Rob Likens, when he came in, you know, considering Curtis Hodges was a Jay Norvell recruit, he came in say, you know, saying, you know, what am I going to do with the six foot seven wide receiver? And the truth is, Hodges just continues to be productive. Um, you know, he's gotten in the weight room, he's gotten a little bit bigger, he hasn't lost any speed, and his hands are good. I think he might end up being more than just a goal line package and special teams weapon. I think you might actually see him out on the field and in the two deep for just some regular drives. Um, another big surprise on this team, Jarrett Caldwell. The, uh, the walk-on tight end who decommitted from UNLV uh, came out of Chandler High and is somebody that, uh, you know, has a lot of experience catching passes. He's got 86 receptions and over 1,500 yards just in the last two seasons alone. He might be the most experienced pass catcher amongst, you know, ASU's um, tight end group. And so he snuck in there and he's gotten some uh, some reps with the ones, which I think is really interesting. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, there was there's also a, a story... Um, that I, I was able to, to post a link to on devilsdigest.com when I did my sights and sounds for the for Saturday night's um, fall scrimmage. And that's that there's a guy that's actually starting on kickoff and kick return coverage named Cody French. Uh, and I, I just wanted to make note of this real quick before we moved on and talked about some of these interviews. Cody French is on first team in several special teams formations, and it's completely insane to think about because French graduated from the Goddard School in Roswell, New Mexico in 2014. So he's already been at a high school for four years. Um, he's, uh, I think, considered a redshirt junior on ASU's roster. And he never played college football before coming to ASU last year. He, he, he did win a championship in the 2012 season 
at the Goddard School, undefeated championship uh, where he was a big contributor. But he went and played baseball right out of high school and then transferred to ASU just to be a regular student. Like, he would sit in the stands for football games and then made the decision that he wanted to try to walk onto the team, and he made it, not only once but twice. And now he's going to be getting some time, which is just wild to think about. Uh, this guy's story is pretty crazy. I posted a link to it on my sights and sounds for fall practices number six and seven on devilsdigest.com. Um, make sure to check that that out, and maybe I'll do an interview with him sometime in the near future, because it's just such a crazy story. Uh, and then on a sour note, um, Tyler Wiley uh, did go down with a broken ankle uh, in Saturday scrimmage. You know, this is somebody that worked for four years to to establish a role for himself. He came out of Chaparral High School in Scottsdale, Arizona. Four-star wide receiver. Never really had the speed and shiftiness to get on the field as a receiver. Has been moved back and forth twice as far as his position on the field. Did get on the field early last year before they ultimately sat him out for the full year. Came in with really just a fresh, clean slate from this new coaching staff. And they've given him every opportunity to succeed. And he, he has been. He was He had at this point at least, was considered the uh, you know first string for the Tillman safety position. You know, something that Evan Fields is probably going to have to take over now or was at least, you know, I think they were at least battling for the number one spot. Um, you hate to lose a player like Tyler, Tyler Wiley because he, at least, at the very least by the players that are his age and some of the guys that have already graduated and moved on, he's absolutely beloved. Uh, the, the guys really like him. I don't know how the younger players feel about him, but I know that his peers, his fellow redshirt seniors, seniors, and, and guys who have graduated out of the program are huge fans of his. Um, you know, and so y- you can never know if he's going to try to come back uh, and play again, but I hope the absolute, he's somebody I've covered since high school, so I hope the absolute best for him uh, moving on. Uh, so, yeah, that's just some of the information that you can find over at DellasDigest.com. Make sure that you subscribe. Uh, support your local Arizona State University uh, sports media. You know, we're, we're here for you. Uh, all sorts of content posted on the website today. Lots of great video interviews. Lots of great stories written by Jordan K., written by Hode Rubino. Uh, I've got a few myself that I would love it if you checked out. Um, I had a great Q&A with linebacker Malik Lawal who explained to me Antonio Pierce's philosophy of business decisions, of having the freedom to go out there and try to make a play. Um, uh, re- really proud of that interview. Um, an- another one of uh, Kobe Williams. Who you know? Who had kind of told me he's sick and tired of of just being a nice surprise. He wants people to know his name, and he's ready to blow up. So uh, I I wrote a story on Kobe Williams and just sort of you know playing second fiddle wherever he's been, but ultimately being somebody you can really depend on. Both of those are actually not behind a paywall uh, right now on Arizona Varsity. So make sure you get over there and and read those and and consider joining up. Uh, so I think a subscription to to Devil's Digest ultimately comes out to be like eight bucks and thirty three cents a month um, when you buy an annual subscription, and I guarantee you that we will make that worth your while. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump over into uh, some of these interviews because the whole point of, of of this podcast. I know we're already fifteen minutes in, but the whole point of this podcast is to introduce you to three. Three new players. The first of which, uh, son of NFL Pro Bowler Sam Adams, who is a six foot four, three hundred and forty pound defensive tackle. You know, Taron Adams might not have his dad's size, but he definitely has his dad's uh, ability to play football. And and uh, he's a really really interesting guy. And I hope you enjoyed this interview with junior college transfer Taron Adams, uh, defensive back for your Arizona State University Sun Devils. Getting up forever, so I stopped out here. Beautiful.
morning, babies breathing, family eating. We're stronger, we're stronger, cause you rule the day. Beautiful morning, babies breathing, family eating. Ralph Amsden, Devil's Junkie Podcast, out here at ASU Media Day with Taryn Adams. Uh, fresh off the Saturday night scrimmage, when you, you got to get out there and show off what you could do, uh, drew the task of having to cover Nikhil Harry, live to tell the tale. So um, I I want to help people kind of get to know a little bit about you, where you came from, your playing style and all that. So let's just start off. I mean, football was a big thing in your life from a, a really early age, correct? Yeah, like I mean, I can remember I came out the womb with a football in my hands. You know, I remember everywhere I had lived growing up, it'd be football before school, it'd be recess. After school, I'd go home, I'd knock on everybody's door in the neighborhood, and I'd try and get as many people as I can to go play football. So we play till dark. We go inside, me and my brother, we play knee ball like footballs. Like, that's it for me and my family. So, you know, you, your dad had a long NFL career, right? It was like 6'4, mm-hmm. 340, Seattle, Baltimore. Um, why, what was, what, I mean, what, what was that like? Just, um, having somebody you know close to you that played football at the absolute highest level, did that just be that was just the goal then from day one? Is yeah, like, I, I want to live up to this, I want to match that. Yeah, it was it was cool growing up. Like, I got plenty of stories I could tell, but just going and seeing like all the insides and like being in the locker room with them, just following them around after the game, running like going after the locker room after the game, hearing Sam, Sam, Sam. Like, I remember I'm like, like I want that, like that was cool seeing watching him. It was a great experience. It really was. I always wonder with people who are so close to the game from such a young age that have seen, you know, the biggest and the best players and the best facilities and all these different cities, you know, when it starts to happen for yourself, when you walk into brand new facilities, Sun Devil Stadium and all that stuff, I mean, does it even check you a little bit? Does it even, uh, you know, is there still that kind of take your breath away stuff? Or is just this, I've envisioned this since I was young, this is just business? Uh, it definitely does, you know, coming from like a humble standpoint, it really is like cool. And I haven't even experienced it yet, like coming out, because I, I got plenty of friends, shoot, even like D1 in the NFL for the last three years. And they all tell me like, even like no matter what, like you're going to come out in that crowd and it's going it's gonna to get you. So I'm excited to see that. Uh, but shoot, even like coming to a practice, like we probably had the same amount of people at our practice here at D1 than we did at our Zuko game. So like, I was like, dang, like, I never had a bunch of people come watch this practice, but even that was cool. Uh, just like having all the fans walk around, you know, uh, it, it is a cool experience and I can't wait to see what it holds for the future. So I gotta be honest, I, I, watched, I watched your film when you first signed. Um, and, uh, and we'll go back to talk a little bit about how you ended up at ASU in the first place. But like the first, probably within two minutes, I was like, man, this guy's annoying. Like he's just on people in their face. Like this is, uh, you know, th- this is the type of D back that the the receiver is thinking about from the first drive on. Like, what are they going to do next? Um, it, it, would you feel like that kind of accurately describes your play? You, you you're physical. You try to get in people's heads, and then you make plays when they make mistakes. Uh, you could say that. I definitely, I definitely would try and would try and achieve that that outlook, but. I would say, really, I just focus. I really just focus on myself. I'm not really worried about what anybody else thinks about me. Coach Herm even made a big deal about that. Uh, I'm gonna try and quote word for word what he said. He said, "If you wouldn't, if you played that way, worrying about what other people think 
think about you, you wouldn't be in this room right now. And that carries, is for me, that's a, that was a huge deal for me because going Juco, I wasn't even really supposed to go junior college. So after that, I know a whole bunch of people said I wasn't, wasn't going to play D1 football, wasn't going to get any scholarships if that was done for football for me. So I really try my, I really just don't really worry about what anybody says except for me and my coaches and my, my dad. So when you, I mean, but when, when you're working on your game, and I'm going to go back to even further than that to find out like how defensive back ended up your role. Um, you know, what, what do you what do you focus on most? What what's the thing that interests you most as a player? Is it working on technique? Is it building your body up in the weight room, speed training? Like what's been the what's been the thing like working on your game personally that's been kind of the most fun to build up over time? The most fun to build up, I would say, is my ball skills, and that's why. That's why I'm here. They brought me because I go get the ball. But that's the thing. With that being said, I would say the things that I work on are my, my technique. Because with those things, like in junior college, I really was just all just like mostly ball skills and instincts. And that, that got me here. And here, you know, at D1, you can't really do that. It's a game of inches. And if you don't have your technique right and a little bit more, uh, more IQ, then you won't be making plays. So I try my best to work on my technique. Uh, my coach told me to work on my backpedal a lot after spring ball, so I worked on that a lot. Uh, speed, as far as speeding, like I'm always in the weight room. Everybody always tells me like I'm I'm getting too big, but I really don't care because like I know myself that I play better when I'm bigger. So I'm still trying to even put on more weight uh, when the season starts after camp. So you you uh, end up a defensive back, you know. Your dad's a Pro Bowl defensive tackle mm-hmm. I mean how, how does it happen for you why and then and then why the defensive side of the ball is that the one thing that you kind of share with him is 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 stopping the offense even though you know 160 pounds lighter and completely different part of the field uh, uh what made you gravitate to that side of the ball I'll be honest like I always wanted to be running back when I was young I always wanted to be a running back and I, I ended up playing receiver and I like receiver and I'm actually that's I'm I'm really a receiver first. Like that's why where my ball skills come from. I used to play receiver when I was younger. I go and get the rock, but like my dad always told me, he said you'll make way more money with like with your physique. You're gonna make way more money playing the defensive side of the ball. They make way more money. And that being said, I had, I didn't really like cornerback at first, especially because when you're young, there's not really as much as many opportunities and as many like kids don't really throw yeah them up, exactly corner type stuff you exactly know. so it's kind of boring but like I would say once I like first I would say probably my junior year once I started really hitting those that's when it became fun but even so even like I remember my first year playing football I live in Denver Colorado I had seven picks my first year so that kind of like if that didn't happen I don't I don't know how much like. I must drive. I would still have to be as a corner. Well, you had that success that kind of fueled you to keep going with it. Um, you told me, you said something earlier that was kind of interesting to me. You said you weren't even supposed to go JUCO. Take me through your football journey and how you ended up at Arizona State. Uh, well, so my from my high school, I had dealt with an injury my senior year. Uh, I was very under recruited my first two years, and then after my junior or after my junior or actually no, it was after my sophomore year. I started getting a lot of public uh, publicity. I became number one cornerback in the state of Washington. Uh, I had started getting some interest, nothing really heavy. And after my junior year, I started getting a lot more phone calls uh, with UW. I was supposed to receive a scholarship from UW around shoot, week three. They told me going into my senior season, your first three games, if, it's, if your tape is what it is, we'll give you a scholarship. In my first game, I did really good. I shut down a, a very talented receiver. 
who ended up going to USC. And after that, I broke my wrist first play of the week two. And uh, that was kind of devastating to me. So that's that's where I told you earlier, like coming in where a lot of people would tell me, you know, I'm not going nowhere. I'll only get scholarships because of my dad. I'll only, I'll never go play D1. I'll never get to the NFL. So that being said, like I'm, the way my dad raised me, he raised me to be a respondent. So hey, I'm, a, I'm a real fighter. Everything, anytime somebody tells me I'm not going to do this, I'm that, I take it as a challenge and I go and I show it on the field. So, And that's what I'm talking about with your film. Like, that's what I see. I see somebody fighting for position. Mm-hmm. I see somebody fighting for the ball. I see somebody fighting to get inside receivers. Like, uh, and, and, and that's what really jumped out to me about your film. But I did see a little bit what you're talking about. There's nobody in the stands. There's no, there's no Juco glory. I mean, it's a badge of honor for guys who are able to survive it. But it's, it's a different world. I mean, what was that year like? It, it really is. And it's crazy because when you go, when I first was told – I got to go play junior college. I was like, man, what? Like, when you think, when you like think in the back of your head, nobody really watches junior college football. Like, there's no attention to it. That kind of feeling subconsciously, it really, I've seen it multiple times. It really does subconsciously make like throw people off. And that was just a lot of people that were doing it for the love. There's people who are intrinsically about football and success, Mm -hmm. and there's other people that were doing it because people were telling them that they're good at it, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Juco, those people aren't really around much. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, like, yeah, for real. And even, like, every game, I remember every game, like, you really got to make a ton of play. Like, my coach, uh, my coach Miles, back at City, he always told me, he said, every opportunity you get, you have to take it because you don't, one, you don't get that many opportunities. And, so you might not get that same opportunity again. So, you know, I had to really, like, I remember every week, I was tripping because I didn't have, I really didn't get any offers until like the last week or like maybe week before last. And I was tripping every week. I would really ask all my, all my Zugo teammates or even so you could ask, even ask Floyd, he would tell you I was tripping every week that I didn't have a scholarship. And I, I remember, I remember this goes back to what I told you, like people said in town University of Missouri had told me, they told me that they didn't think I could, uh, they told me they didn't think I could go there and compete for a starting job. That's why they didn't offer me a scholarship. So the next day, they told me that the night before my game and the next day, in one quarter, I had an interception, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, and two tackles. And then they took me out of the game after that. And so how, how does Arizona State come into the picture? And, and what makes you feel like that's a good home for you? Uh, Coach Herm, you know, he's a Juco guy himself. Bounced back from Cal to uh, Monterey, Monterey, I'm not positive what the name was, but uh, once Coach Herm had offered me, like that struck me, I was like, oh, that's my first Pac-12 offer. I went and did a ton of research because like I knew who he was growing up because he coached uh, the Jets throughout my dad's like my dad's phase when he, I remember he was playing for the Bills so like I was familiar with who he was. But I went and did my research on him. I'm like, oh yeah, this is the guy right here, uh, defensive back. And then I went and called him later the same night that he offered me, and I asked him uh, the first thing. So my biggest thing was as far as choosing a school is I want to play for a coach that's going to make me the best player that I can be. And I called him later that night and I asked him, I said, Coach, why do you think I should come here? And that was the first thing. He First he said, obviously, he talked about the school, the university. And then the first thing he said football-wise, he said, I'm going to make you the best player you can be. And after that, I was sold. 
Was your dad able to vouch? There's a couple other guys on this team with dads that played in the NFL. I remember I talked to Tyler Johnson, and he was like, Graham left, I was going to leave. When they found out Herm Edwards was getting the job, my dad has a relationship with Herm Edwards. He called and he said, this is actually the man that's going to make you a man, mm-hmm. and you have to stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Obviously, with Herm Edwards being around the NFL a long time, you know, your whole family around the NFL for a really long time, was he able to speak any authority into the situation at all? Yeah, my dad, he, he helped me a lot. Like, he really helped me a lot, even, like, all aspects of football. We watched film. We would, he would help me with my, my backpedal in the weight room. So I remember in high school, he had me in the weight room for, like, five hours. There was one time he had me in there for five hours. I was, I was high. <laughs> but now I look back on it, like, I'm really, like, I'm so thankful for everything because I don't, I'm not sure if I would really be in the same spot that I'm in right now. Uh, you know, he he's helped me with everything, and he's really helped. He's given he gave me the drive that I have, or he helped develop the drive that I have. But as far as like choosing a school, like he knows coaches, he knows there's a lot of politics, he knows all of that, and he knows that Herm. He said Herm, he said yeah, Herm will take care of you. So that built a lot of trust even into choosing Coach Herm. So yeah. So I gotta ask Saturday, you go head to head with Nikhil Harry. And he's he's bigger than a he's bigger than a receiver should be. I always tell him he's a tight end. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, he's getting to that point, like five, five more pounds, and there's no more excuse to be split out like that. But I mean, what? And what's that like? What, like, is that something that excites you? That wakes up those competitive juices, or do you use it as a measuring stick? Like, if I can get this guy, I can get anybody. I I really like going against him because I was even talking to my dad about this last night. He said, you're not going to play a receiver bigger than him, bro. Like, you're really not going to play a receiver bigger than him. So that's a good way to, like, work on my physicality. But really, like, I'm not going to lie. Our receivers are, like, really, really good. And we even just got a new one, Brandon Ayuk. We really got some good receivers. Terrell Chapman, uh, Frank Darby. And the thing that I like most about going against our receivers is like we have different, very different types of receivers. So where you got Curtis Hodges, he's a six eight dude. So that's perfect for me to work my skill set on tall receivers. You got Terrell Chapman. He's a real like he's a. He, I'd say he's more of like jump the average guy. size receiver, yeah. but he's got really good routes and he's quick. So that'll help me like work on like you no know, he like a normal, another Pac twelve receiver, Frank Darby. He's like a really strong receiver. So that helps me with that. And then you got Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk. He's like he, he's newer. But he's really fast too, and then you got Nikhil. Who's just he got the size and he got the, the ability to go get the ball. So you know, and then you got slots to chase around like Newsom and all that stuff. Yeah, so it's, and then Kyle Williams. Like yeah. I'm telling you, we are we really have like there's not a certain type of receiver that you'd see somewhere else that we don't have. Like Michigan State, I know they got big, big old receivers. We got Nikhil and uh, and Curtis, so that's perfect. So uh, I mean, last question is is just you, what you envision for yourself. Because you brought up what Herm said, don't let anybody else define what it is that you're doing here. So what are you doing for yourself? What are your goals for yourself? What do you see yourself? Like, what are you working toward? My goal is to become the best player that I can be here. Because as far as like starting or going to the NFL, all that will take care of itself. But I can only control what I can control. You know what I'm saying? That's what a lot of that's what my coach, uh, Coach Brett Jones, had taught me at City College. He said, "Only control, control what you can control." Because he knew that I was stressing every week about the offers too. So, I, that's some of the maturity that he helped he helped build into me. I lied to you because you just brought up City College. What does it do when you have guys like Ayuk, Floyd, and you come in, and you know, guys who are on second, 
third chances, maybe slept on in the first place, definitely skilled. Does it, it, it do, do those drops in the bucket, do they change the consistency of the environment? Does it give the team a little bit of, a, of, of an edge? Uh, I was, I would say a little bit. I would say a little bit. Like as far as like NorCal, NorCal, we got some of the coldest Zuko dudes. Period. Like NorCal Zuko, we we some real dogs. I'll, I'll be the first to tell you that. There's plenty. There's so many, so many NorCal junior college players that were slept on, that didn't get big offers. So even even on my team, like City College specifically, we have dudes that's twos and threes that are Division One players that won't even get the sign just because they got another D1 player right in front of them, you know what I'm saying? That's crazy, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to seeing what you can do on the field. Yep, yes, sir. Thank you. Nice doing with you, too. I really enjoyed talking to Taryn Adams, and I think, you know, there are quite a few players on this team that are bringing in just that, that junior college mindset, you know, that they have a short time here, they came to make a difference, they've already overcome the odds, you know, and considering how many people have counted Arizona State out as far as just from, you know, the media and the people who ultimately think this Herm Edwards experiment will be a joke and it won't work out, I think what you need is the mindset of some of these Juco guys that have come in and said, it doesn't matter what people think of you, you know, we're, we're here to make our mark, let's do it in the short time that we have. So, um, you know, Taron Adams, I think, will be a fantastic addition. I, I look for him to get a lot of play, you know, if not in a nickel spot. If, if you see an injury to Chase or to Kobe Williams, I think he, he'll be one of those guys that steps in right away. Um, and then another, I think, interesting uh, junior college story is DeMonte King. Now, I wrote this story on Kobe Williams on DevilsDigest.com, and he told me the story of how, you know, they waited past signing day last year. And ultimately, you know, we're surprised when Phil Bennett reached out to them and brought them over to ASU. Um, you know, Kobe Williams started all 13 games. DeMonte King got, got quite a bit of playing time as well. And now both of them, have, you know, are coming back and expected to be kind of in a leadership role on this year's team. And uh, and I, I asked DeMonte King about that story, about, you know, Kobe Williams and and, and the whole uh, the call from, from Phil Bennett, and I just found it to be a completely fascinating story uh, from, from a really, really great guy to talk to. Um, great journey, uh, you know, and he's here at ASU making the absolute best of it. So let's hear from Arizona State University defensive back DeMonte King. Ralph Amsden, Devil's Junkie Podcast. We've got DeMonte King out here at uh, ASU Media Day. And, uh, I mean, I, I just did a long interview with Kobe Williams, and he walked me through the process of signing day coming and going in 2017 when you guys were out at Long Beach City and um, and how you were kind of the hero of that story for him because you're the one that made the call and said, yeah. you know, Phil Bennett's going to come get us. He's like, I didn't believe him, but then it all worked out. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Kobe was a freshman. Um, and the story's a little bit different for you. Walk me through what that whole experience was like for you to end up at Arizona State University. So I uh, started off at Montana State University, actually. I registered there, then played a year. Then after that year happened, the semester I left, actually. So I go to Long Beach City College. Everything's going good, you know what I'm saying? A lot of coaches coming to talk to me and everything. And then second game, I, I just I fall wrong on a, on a sack. 
I tear everything in my shoulder up and from there I just thought it was over with you know what I mean I, it was it wasn't healing right or anything like that I couldn't figure out what's going on so like you said signing day came and went and I just I watched dudes from other JUCOs and my JUCO sign I just I really couldn't believe it I went from you know starting as a freshman at a D1 program to like to not signing and I'm seeing all this stuff and it's just so crazy to me so but at that point, man, I, I really thought my career as a football player was over. And it's, it, was, it was really crazy because I played football my whole life, and I felt like just one injury just took me out of my game for the rest of my time. And you had told me a little bit before we started recording, you know, you left Montana State, and I asked if that, like, if when you were getting to the point where you thought you'd never play football again, if you felt, you know, some regret. And you said, no, you knew exactly what you were you 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 right. knew that you knew the risk you were taking when you went into it and and you were gonna live with the consequences. Uh definitely I knew what I was getting myself into. When I went to JUCO, a lot of people was telling me, man, what if you do get hurt, this, that and the other. And I told them, man, like it is what it is. I, I'm gonna do this on my own terms. I'm taking a, a gamble on myself. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm betting on myself basically because I really felt like I played at a bigger level and I felt like I deserved that because in high school my recruiting didn't go how I wanted it to. So, you know, in life, that's a lot of people have to take risks, man. A lot of very successful people you see take risks. And I felt like I had to do what they had to do. I had to take a, a big risk on myself and I had to live with the consequences if I did get hurt, if anything did happen. And I was willing to live with that. So tell me about the day the phone rings and Phil Bennett's on the other. I, I mean, how does something like that happen? Oh, man. <laughs> so the day the phone rang, um, actually, I had to got a follow from one of the assistant coaches on Twitter. And I was like, OK, like this is this is pretty interesting to me. You know, I had after, signing, fo- day. after signing day, wow. you know, what I'm saying this out of nowhere. I got to follow one of the assistants. And then Coach Bennett had called me like two weeks later. He's like, is this Demonte that came? Boom, boom, boom. I'm like, yeah. And I really couldn't believe it. Like, I was like, Man, how is this happening? You know what I'm saying? All at everybody a Pac-12 school. You know what I'm saying? I just really could not believe it. So he didn't offer me then, but he was like, uh, "Send me your tape, send me your transcripts. Boom, boom, boom. We're gonna get you in the system." I'm like, "All right, maybe he's just looking." But I was still excited, man. You know what I mean? So that happened. We talk almost every day for two full weeks. He's like, "All right, we want to bring you on a visit." I come to the spring game. Before the game, he's like, "Ma'am, come into this office. We're gonna have you sign. Um, if you, we're gonna have you." Uh, sign the paperwork and everything if you want to come here. I'm like, man, I was ready to sign that paperwork since I got off the airplane, you know what so I'm saying? So your, your offer was like, here's the paper, here's the pen, the, Yeah, much. It was like, it was uh, it was inclined, you know, they flew me on an official visit, so right, of right, course right. I knew the offer was there, but like, I was just eager, like, man, where is this at? Like, I'm ready to get it done, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. it, I was I was too excited, I couldn't even think about the spring game, I just wanted to sign those papers, and he was too, he was like, you know, let's, let's just handle it right now, we, let's sign this paperwork, and so then I'm here. It sounds like you were in the same place, like headspace as Kobe. Like I don't believe this is happening yeah. right now. So let's just get it was. Let's it, get to where it's gonna go. Yeah, it was definitely crazy, man. Just being in, in junior college, like it's a different atmosphere. People don't understand because it's really, really easy to get overlooked in JUCO because your your tape is almost everything. Because I know a lot of good players in JUCO who who cover a, a guy every play, but they don't get the ball thrown their way because so they're, they're that good. Exactly. And yeah. There's no film, so it's like it's like damn the pack a pack 12 school of all schools is. Taking a risk on us, taking a shot on us, and it was unbelievable. But you know what I mean. I'm, I'm glad it happened. Uh, so I asked Kobe this. I said, you know, was it in the back of your head that like ASU was so thin in the secondary um, that you know were you ever like, oh man, they they need me. They don't necessarily want me. They need me. I got to go out there and prove myself all over again. It's not like I was the guy they were chasing from oh, from day oh. one. 
that's that's obvious of course we knew that we knew coming in they were uh what the passing numbers and everything was it was very apparent they had a lot of injuries that things happen just like any program but we kind of knew that but we were just so grateful for the opportunity you know what i mean like whatever the case was we was ready to prove ourselves so that's what we do we're always going to compete you know what i mean that never was an issue for us but i mean that that was some of that happened but we were just so grateful for the opportunity we wanted to contribute all the guys here coming and welcoming us, we felt like a family almost immediately, you know what I mean? So we was ready to go. Now, tell, walk me through last year, just like the, the experience on the field. Um, was there a big – I know you got a lot of athletes out in California, especially JUCO level. Mm-hmm. Was there a difference in speed? Did anything surprise you as you were going through last year? i say a uh, big difference. I played at the D1 level before, but at D1AA, big difference yeah. is depth for sure. At this level, man, you swap another guy in, it's like, like man, he, he's just like him, you know what I mean, with a different jersey on. So there's like a lot of talent. Speed, of course, is there, but in Juco, there's talent too, but like here, every position is talented. There's no one you're going to see is kind of out of place, you know what I mean? So that'd be the biggest difference. The coaching, of course, coaches really know how to to really attack the, the minute details of a defense and things like that. You, you think you're in a comfortable position, it's like, damn, how did he complete that? You know what I'm saying? So just things like that was the difference. Did your time in the Big Sky help you? Because the, the, the Big Sky is, every offense is different. Definitely, I mean, yeah. this is a lot like the Pac-12. Like, everyone yeah. is doing something different every single week. Do you feel like that, that kind of warmed you up to what you're going to face here? I think it definitely did because we play against – teams who had coaches who coached at this level already. You know what I mean? We played a team like Eastern Washington. Now he's coaching for Cal, you know what I'm saying? And they threw the ball almost every play with NFL caliber receivers at almost every position. I mean, at every receiver position. So it definitely did help me. And then um, I think playing with a team of like, quote unquote, lesser talent or whatever, helped me like create my own plays and like not rely on other people as much. So I was already used to like not like just hiding in the background and playing, going through the motions. I was used to going after plays and attacking things. How does it feel to be on the other side of a Cats rivalry? Oh, <laughs> that nah, feels good, man. It feels good. It feels good to people win. People don't know game. about that Montana, they Montana State. Uh, they don't yeah, know. They don't know. It's a big deal, it's though. It's heated for, yeah. the, for the people of North. Yeah, it's a big deal. No, it feels great, man. But it feels good to be on the winning side. I'll say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just uh, your, your personal goals this year. What are you setting out to do? Uh, a legacy that you, you want to leave behind uh, at Arizona State University, having, you know, like you said, you, you took this on on your own terms. Mm-hmm. You're in a, a, an incredible position, and now, you know, you're, you're in even more of a position to, to take kind of your fate in your own hands and leave your, your footprint here. What are you trying to do? Uh, man, I want to play hard every game, dude. I mean, um, I never have a numerical goal on stats because I feel like when dudes do that, they kind of play outside the framework of the game. And I said that earlier to somebody else, you know what I mean? So, I just come in, I'm going to play every play hard, do what I got to do, leave it all on the field, and I'm take absorb this coaching because we've got top-tier coaches. Hopefully I can get to the next level from here, you know what I mean, and set the example. And I think ASU, we're at a time where we can start becoming a, a NFL powerhouse like like a lot of schools have been, and, and this might this is the year to turn the tide for that. So I think it's it's good that I could be a staple point in that movement. I think, and also being, being a... a a team that you know competes in big time bowl games national championships like that and this is the first year this is year one so it's really important so i mean my last question is you've had to bet on yourself Mm -hmm. kobe's had to bet on himself Taryn Adams, mm-hmm. uh, Isaiah Floyd, definitely, um, Brandon Ayuk. Mm-hmm. You've all gone that route of betting on yourself, and now you got a national media saying this team in the toilet, last place, <laughs> right? Right. And uh, 
And I mean, so does that JUCO mindset? Does that help influence the players that are that, uh, are, that are already here to say like no? Like Herm says, you know, yeah. you you make your own definition of what success is going to be. Don't worry about anybody else. Definitely, because you know, at junior college, you always feel like you was counted out. You know what I mean? So I think I don't I don't pay attention to a lot of like the outside media and stuff. So if you're saying people are counting us out, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. We we taking on that mindset. You know what I'm saying? We, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It just matters what we do on that field and what we do. I've been in your ear now. I might praise on stage. Caught up in the way now. Can you roll with the weight? I've been in your ear now. I might praise on stage. Sunday morning. Church choir on familiar context. Put it on my heart. Praise God for the conscience. Writing in the spirit. Can you hear it? Uh. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? Artificial, let me clear it. Do it, do it. Right here now, throw and my last interview of the day is with uh, somebody that Arizona State University fans have to just be very familiar with by this point, but maybe haven't really heard his voice that much, and that is Gilbert High product Stephen Miller. Um, he came out of Gilbert's uh, red-shirted Arizona State. There's a lot of... Um, I, I felt like a lot of excitement to see what he could do eventually, you know, like this guy might end up being a, a, a third year starter by the time he's a redshirt senior. You know, I heard a lot of things like that. Well, here he is going into his third year as a starter in his redshirt junior year. I think he got thrown into the fire a little bit earlier than ASU coaches would have liked. And now he comes back as one of the most experienced players on the offensive line, has completely remade his body and is ready to be a big time impact player. So let's hear from offensive guard Stephen Miller. All right, Ralph Amsden, Devil's Junkie Podcast. We're out here at ASU Media Day. Stephen Miller, been a long time since covering you at at, at Gilbert High School. Uh, You know, you've got a lot of experience under your belt. You're holding down the right side uh, out here at Arizona State University. Uh, First of all, man, just uh, tell me about this offseason. I come in, you're looking completely different. What went into it, and and how were you able to kind of sculpt your body and get ready for the season? Uh, I mean, uh, we had a spring ball. I was a little, I was, I was a little heavy in my opinion. You know, I was about 3:30, 3:33, something like that. And, you know, I had a meeting with Coach Christensen. Kind of just went over what I, I mean, what he expected from me as far as you know performance and stuff like that. And he said, you know, you got aspirations and goals, and, and you want to play when you're done. You know, at ASU. So you know, the best, I think, the best playing weight that you would be at would be around 3:15. And you know, I kind of took that and I said, you know what, I'm gonna show, I'm gonna show them that I that I care about this team. I want to be a leader. I want to I want to do everything that, that you know that comes with being a leader. So I gotta walk the walk. I gotta I gotta act on it. And uh, went out this summer because Joe put it put us to work. And you know, just came back. You know, I'm about 3:10 right now. Just feel good. Feel better than ever. Got a little lower than he wanted me to, which is you know, it's not a big deal to him. It's a good weight for me. And uh, yeah, I mean. First time in a while that I've like not had a problem with weight and uh, it's been good. So I got I got to ask you, man, because you coming from covering Arizona high school football, I look out at that offensive line. I see you holding it down at right guard. You got Quinn Bailey next to you. Casey Tucker comes back over from Stanford, and it's just I mean it's Arizona representing out there. What, what's that like to to be the probably the unit that more than any other? I know Nikhil gets the glory or whatever, but more than any any other, this is the unit that's really representing the state of Arizona. Oh, uh, I mean, take a lot of pride in that. I know I know definitely Casey. You know, coming back was that was huge for us. I think you know just as far as like. You know his reputation when he went to Stanford. 
kind of hurt, but you know it is what it is. It's good to have him back, and you know having three Arizona guys on the offensive line—that's it's amazing. And we got—I mean, we got other guys that can play as well. And, and you know we got a, a unit that is filled with you know guys from Arizona, so it's it's really fun. It's it's good little you know you get to have a little bit of you know joking and, and you get to play and mess with people about you know what high school they're from, but. It's all good. It's all love, and, and we have a little bit of a little bit more cohesion than some of the other guys, in yeah. my opinion. But it, it's good. So my question is this: You're lining up next to a six-five, long-armed center right now, and that wasn't really the case in years before. You had talented guys next to you, but uh, are you starting to notice like that push that you're that you're getting with the guy next to you is is maybe a, a little bit. Uh, a little bit different than than in years past. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, being with being with Cole this year has been it's been really good. You know, we're roommates, so we get to have there's that little extra, you know, that little extra cohesion, and, and we get to talk about you know stuff that goes on in practice. You know, we we watch film together, we do all that together. So you know, we're we're a little closer than I would say years before. But you know, AJ, great guy, did a great job for us the last couple of years, and. Uh, yeah, man, he's Cole's stepping up. He's done a good job, and you know he's really taking a, a leadership role of being the center. And um, yeah, I mean we communicate, and it's been good. Yeah, he's a big dude, holds it down over there. I ain't got to worry about him. Yeah. He, he doesn't have to worry about me. We kind of you know feed off of each other. I always felt like you kind of got thrown into the fire earlier than most offensive linemen do in your time here. Like you were getting quite a few reps as a redshirt freshman, correct? Oh yeah, definitely. And so you know you, you're in a situation where. As a, as a redshirt junior, like in this conference, you got more experience than probably 90% of the offensive linemen that, that you're going to be seeing uh, week to week. How have you grown and how has your mindset changed over time here, just getting all those reps? Uh, I mean, a couple of days ago, I watched some of the film from 20, 2016, and I was like, wow, like that was a completely different football player. And, you know, you always say, like, you know, you got to learn from practice and you got to do a lot of things, you know. You have to progress. Obviously, you have to progress throughout practice. But you know, I think that I learned a lot, and, and most of the stuff that I learned was, you know, in those game reps that I got early on. You know, kind of got to see, you know, what I was, what I was set up, you know, what I was set up to play against the the next season. And then last year came around and played all season, and I was able to see some some really good defensive linemen, and I think that's that's helped me. And even now coming in, you know, still trying to get better every day. Obviously, I have little things that I have to correct and. Um, I just think that, you know, I've come a really long way as far as, you know, just every little, little, little things in the game and, and general, I mean, when you've seen, when you've been on the field so long, you start to see things that you didn't notice before, start to feel the game, you know, you, just, you can just kind of get a feel for what's going on on the field. And, uh, yeah, I think it's definitely showing up just to communicating with other people on the offensive line and just seeing how the coaches want to operate. So it's been good. You've had a lot of guys move on uh, that you've been around. Um, to, to you know have have some serious success um, you know whether it's Westerman Sam Jones you know saw him on the TV oh yeah uh, you know getting in Aquaman playing against yeah, Denver Aquaman. and stuff but I mean have have they been able to kind of reach back out and, and just tell you like yeah, like here's here's what you need to expect here's what you should know uh, this being basically this is your offensive line now right I mean you you have to take that ownership being having so much experience being an upperclassman uh, you know what, what wisdom are they able to kind of speak into your situation uh, I mean last year having Sam around you know we were kind of able to you know just feed off of each other talk a lot about you know what was going on with him as far as being a leader just because you know we all know like at some point in time somebody's gonna have to step up and lead uh, the group um, I got to I got to talk to I get to talk to Jamil Douglas every once in a while and, and kind of you know just 
feed off of him, see what just it's just that that, you know, being able to see those guys and what they're doing and how they're, you know, being successful after football, you know, they kind of they, they did everything the right way on and off the field and, and they didn't really have to talk too much about it when they were in the meeting rooms. They didn't have to do any of that. It was just like you see them go do what they're doing and, and you don't really have to you, you never have to worry about them doing the wrong things. And that's really kind of the way that I think a lot of offensive linemen in our group, especially Quinn, Quinn is really the same way, Cole is the same way. You know, we kind of just try to, we want to be the guys that you never have to worry about. And we are expected to go, you know, we're going to go out there, work our hardest and do everything that we can to, you know, not affect the game in a bad way and, and do things the right way. Three coaches in, in three years, plus multiple talented assistants, whether it's, you know, Henson or Renfrey, who played here in Arizona, too, who mm-hmm. kind of knows what you're going through and everything. Um, has there been a palpable difference from year to year, or do you feel like it's pretty much the, the sa- same same con- concepts or anything like that? Or, or has there been, like, enough of a personality difference where you have to make personal adjustments to be able to, you know, make sure that, that, that you're doing what a new person is leading you to do? Oh, I think offensive line-wise – that last year was really a huge change for us. You know, just Coach Sale, great dude, different different type of uh, energy, and you had to kind of you had to match it. You didn't really you didn't necessarily have to match it, but you just had to understand where he was coming from and how he was gonna how he was gonna react if you did certain things. So you had to you had to be smart about the way you played. You had to do things the right way all the time. And, and with Coach Christensen, it's kind of getting a, a, a different vibe. It's a good thing. You know, we got to I think that the the the, all the coaches, you know, we have a good, it's a just a more, not necessarily relaxed, but more player-friendly environment. And, um, yeah, he's been, he's been really helpful with us, you know, just kind of lets us, you know, experiment, practice at a time where you get to kind of see what works, see what works yeah. and see what doesn't. Because if you don't do something in practice, you're definitely not going to do it in a game. Like, it's just, yeah. that's just how it is. You know, you know how it is. I've been but, telling uh, people. Yeah. I've been telling people the vibe really feels like you you had a, a, an environment where it was just like do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing, and then it shifted more to I trust you to do the right thing, and if you don't, we'll figure it out. And that, and that seems to me the biggest difference in in, in vibe. Some okay. people need the hammer, and some some people need the trust, and it feels kind of like you've gone a little bit from the hammer to the to, to the trust. Uh, oh yeah, from definitely. Coaching staff to coaching staff. Okay. Definitely, I think I think that is uh, that's that's like a perfect. I think that's a perfect explanation of how it's gone. And uh, yeah, I mean the people that don't do the right thing don't end up being here very long because they're gonna make a mistake that you know is gonna cost them. And we obviously we never want any of that for anybody. Right. But it, it is what it is. You can't really control it. Even when even when you have somebody that's like a hammer type person, you know there's gonna be people that make mistakes. They're just gonna try and. You know, they're going to be less open to others and less open to trying to get help or, or figure the situation out. And so I think that this situation is good for us, and I think that the coaching staff has done a good job of, you know, hey, let's let's talk. I mean, let's let's be open with each other so that we can, you know, we can bounce ideas off of each other. We can figure out what, what's going to work for the, the group, the entire unit, and uh, we can go from there rather than yeah. you're, we're getting to, I mean, of course, there always has to be a time where somebody's going to have to, you know, lay down the lay down the law, but we're able to, you know, communicate with each other and, and get an idea for, you know, where we want to go and how we want to operate. So, I mean, the talent behind you, you know, I haven't been doing this seven years or whatever, you know, I've seen my share of you know, college running backs, high school running backs, whatever. I feel like the talent behind you guys is insane right now. I mean, oh, Demar- yeah. Demario and Kalen, you can't take anything away from them, their legacies yeah. and everything they did here. But there's like five different types of talent 
behind you and every single one of them feels like they have a super high ceiling. What have you seen from those guys so far and what kind of excites you about what some of them are able to do? Oh man, those guys are, those guys are some talented dudes. We had, I mean, we knew about Eno and Traylon, you know, just from practicing last year and, and they just didn't get a lot of opportunities just because Kalen and D-Ritz, you know, they had been here, they deserved those reps. And um, but yeah, those two are gonna be great. Floyd, my gosh. That dude is that dude is legit, and we got AJ Carter back there. We got we got Brock, obviously, got his own stuff going on. But all those guys are extremely talented, and can all play. They could all play in the Pac-12 anywhere, and it's it's amazing to have them here. So you, well, you know, got you got to do something a little bit different for Eno than you do for for Traylon because uh, Traylon, I was like, oh, this is going to be a change of pace guy. And the more I watch him, I'm like, no, he's probably going to be his own his own thing, earn his own reps, like make his own way. He's not just going to be situational. That guy gets in and out of holes really, really quickly. But you feel like it's just you do your job, they make it work after that? Yeah, I mean, you don't even – I mean, sometimes I don't even realize that they switch running backs. I think that – I think that <laughs> – yeah, I mean, they all do a good job of, you know, finding the finding the holes and then making making it work after that. I think, that, you know, it'll be it, – it will be very interesting to see how they split up the reps and that – I mean, that's probably the only thing that's really keeping them up at night is, you know, we got so much talent. How are we going to how are we going to spread the spread the wealth? You usually seem pretty unbothered. And I think you got people out there that are reacting negatively to the idea of Herm Edwards coming back to coaching. Take a team that went six and three in the Pac-12 last year, brought back pretty much the whole offense and said, no, you're last. Does it feel like disrespect? I know Herm Edwards has told you guys, don't worry about other people's expectations. But does it, is, does it feel silly to you, at least on some level? Like, is it, is it something you just kind of have to shake your head at? You got to just, you know, you just got to kind of take it as it is. Uh, coaches, coaches change, players change. And, and the funny thing is, is, you know, everybody that says we're going to be last in the South is like, they forget that we have our basically our entire offense coming back right got, i mean it, it it is what it is you can't really you can't really change it you know you just got to go out there and play and it, feels, it doesn't bother me you kind of you got to just laugh it off it you feels know? it feels like it's more funny than than angering like that it's not even built bulletin board material because mm. it would be like saying you know someone calling you broke when you know you have five thousand dollars in your pocket it's like, like yeah, i don't have to pull my wallet out to prove it to you i know i'm but okay like and yeah. so um i guess I guess my last question would, would, would just be your expectations for yourself this year. You know, you're, 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 you're playing a little bit lighter than you did before. I know, I know you, you know, as you were getting bigger in high school, you still don't want to give up the athlete role. Like, you still don't yeah, want to give definitely. up receiver and stuff. Now that you lost the weight, you feel like, I'm going to go catch some passes. Yeah, you know, jokingly, <laughs> I was like, hey, man, let me carry the ball. Let me do something. But, you know, I just, you know, I just want to have, you know, I just want our team to do, to do well. And, uh, you know, we got a lot to prove. We came off of uh, – I mean, obviously the bowl game really was not definitive of who we are as a team, but you know we got we got a lot to prove, and and, and I think we're gonna do that this year. I appreciate you hanging in for those interviews, and let's just go ahead and get to this Q&A section. I had asked you to send me questions in the devilsdigest.com premium Devils Huddle forum, uh, as well as on Twitter. And so I'm going to go through these one by one and answer them to the best of my ability. So we got Sun Devil Rob as part of the Devils Digest community. Uh, he said, with Ayuk and Thomas, Coach Edwards and the revised staff are showing a real knack at finding talent. 
This seems a major change that seems we've had mediocre results in recruiting other than Harry, even with touted recruits. I know it's still early, but isn't this the brightest spot with the hiring of Coach Edwards? Talents wins games, right? Um, so I'm, to rephrase that question, I think it's saying like, hey, Herm Edwards is, you know, Herm Edwards is the one that's discovering some of these guys. Um, do, do we give him more credit than we gave Todd Graham for, you know, what he was doing? Um, you know, and Todd Graham really struck gold with a lot of junior college guys. Uh, Demarius Randall obviously being one of them. Um, Marcus Hardison, Jalen Strong, Tim White. You know, there there were a lot of guys that came in and had it had an impact um, from the junior college level, and and I think you have to kind of give him credit for, you know, Kobe Williams as well, uh, and and Demonte King and and uh, Jamarcus Rhodes um, played a, a pretty big role on on last year's team, um, and so I, I don't know if I've seen a vast difference in what Herm Edwards' staff has been able to accomplish with bringing in junior college guys since. Uh, Todd Graham left. I will say that while Brandon Ayuk is very, very good in practice, um, you know, that's got to translate to the actual game. Uh, and Tim White was able to do that for two years and is ultimately with the Baltimore Ravens right now. So it, I think it remains to be seen. As far as saying that ASU had mediocre results in recruiting, even with touted recruits, I think is, is a way of saying like, hey, you know, ASU didn't develop some of these four-star guys that they've had come in, maybe like K.J. Jarrell or Tyler Wiley or um, things like that. And I completely understand where you're coming from there. Um, but as far as recruiting, I think the jury's really still out on this staff. we got to see how they finish in the 2019 class, and we got to see if they're ultimately in contention for the elite kids like they kind of promised they would be for 2020. Um, so I think, you know, you hit on some recruits, you don't hit on others, and, and I think that's ultimately what Todd Graham had going on for a while and, you know, and, and, and really what Herm Edwards has going on right now. Um, you know, he's, he's hit on a couple of these junior college guys, but it's still early. We haven't seen what they can do in a game, he still hasn't coached a game yet. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself as far as saying Herm Edwards is doing better than anyone because ultimately you got to see these guys in action. Um, next question, Tyler Wiley, will he ever play for us again? I addressed that a little bit earlier on. Um, I think it ultimately comes down to whether he wants to stay at ASU or not. I mean, he could probably get a medical redshirt, come in for a sixth year. But a lot of the guys that, you know, that, that he kind of admires and that have a lot of admiration for him are all his age and or older and already gone out of the program. So, you know, is he going to want to stick around and watch guys like Manny Wilkins and other players move on without him and he stays at ASU just for the shot at finally getting on the field? That's the big question, and that's not really something that I'm confident answering right now. I do know that he, you know, he's not going to play again this year. Uh, and depending on how his rehab goes, you know, maybe he – does or does not even consider attempting to play again, we'll, we'll see. Um, but, you know, if I had to venture to guess, I'd say that, you know, with with the people that he's close to and the fact that they're probably all going to be moved on to different stages of their lives, it would be difficult to see Tyler Wiley coming back for a sixth year at ASU. Uh, another question on DevilsDigest.com from Santan Devil. The Sparky package, do you think it left with Coach Todd Graham? If employed this season, who runs it? Nikhil, Eno, Brock? Um, I will tell you, I absolutely think that you're going to see the Sparky package. You will see direct snaps, and I think probably the best person to get their ball in their hands right away and let them make some moves uh, is going to be Eno Benjamin. So I would say expect to see it. 
and ultimately I expect that it would be Eno handling the ball. Uh, another question, how many running backs should we expect to see get carries each game? We've got four or five who can handle the rock at this point, and that was from Left Lane Hammered Down, uh, one of my favorite uh, posters on asudevils.com slash devilsdigest.com in the premium uh, Devils huddle. Um, I, I think you're, you know, you're going to see, if I had to break it down, so let's say you know it's a 30-slice pie or whatever, so you got 30 carries. I think um, 18 to 20 of those go to Eno. Um, and uh, I think, uh, maybe at this point, you know, four or five go to Traylon, four or five go to, um, Isaiah Floyd, and then you've got a couple of carries left over for Sturgis and Carter. Uh, I think that Floyd's going to probably get more touches maybe on some bubble screens and some passes and things like that. I expect Carter to get one to two carries a game, especially in short-yarded situations. And I don't really see a point in keeping Brock Sturgis off the field. He's so ready right now to at least do something. Um, I expect everybody to touch the ball. You know, if the games are close and they feel like they have one hot hand that's reliable... I would not be surprised to see them just ride with that hot hand. I mean, Herm Edwards is the same guy that gave Larry Johnson the ball like 400 times in a season. So, um, I mean, I would not be surprised, at least at UTSA, to see five running backs touch the ball. Um, by the time conference play comes around, I'd say you probably see 30 carries split between three guys with one of the other two guys maybe getting one to two touches a game, depending on the uh, how the score is going. I'd say the, the odd men out right now seem to be Sturgis and Carter. But also, you know, physically, they just look so ready to get the ball anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them get touches as well. Some of the other questions came in on Twitter. Um, Lee Patterson, uh, my friend down from Safford, Arizona, asked, what's the biggest difference you've seen from last year to this year so far? Uh, the biggest difference to me um, is kind of a weird one, but I see from the center and guard position, especially where... Cole Cabral lines up next to Stephen Miller. I just see them getting a lot of push up the middle and creating the space that the running backs need to ultimately, you know, make one or two cuts and figure something out, make a play on their own. Um, I'm seeing a little bit more strength and push from the offensive line. And then the overall tone of practices is very different. There's a lot less yelling, even though Angel Ruiz did trigger the ASU coaches to yell at him three times in one practice the other day, something I've never seen before in my life. Um, you know, they, they, Angel Ruiz tackled a couple of guys on special teams and he's supposed to just be basically a, a, a dummy player and, um, and instead acted a little bit like a dummy and got in a bunch of trouble from the coaches. But even then, you know, Todd Graham might've picked up Angel Ruiz and kicked him into the sun. You know, they just told him to get off the field. And from everything that I heard afterward that, you know, they made him feel better about it and, and, and told him, you know, go get him next time and everything like that. But just the tone of practice is a little bit more. Uh, the volume's a little bit less and seems to be a little bit more professional, I'd say. Um, which players seem to be adapting to the three-three-five system the quickest? That's from Justin Prestigard on Twitter. I would say that uh, uh, the, the couple of the linebackers seem to have a pretty good handle on it. Uh, I'm hearing that freshman Merlin Robertson can play all three linebacker positions right now. Uh, I would expect him to start. Um, I think that Malik Lawal has a pretty good handle on what's going on. Uh, Nick Ralston seemed to have a pretty good handle early, but he might have slipped down on the depth chart a little bit. Uh, but I, the, I think the linebackers probably have the best handle on what's going on right now. 
And then um, somebody else with Darius Slade kind of hobbled with a little bit of an ankle injury right now. I kind of see, you know, Shannon Foreman doesn't seem to hesitate a lot. He seems to really know what he's doing as well on the defensive line. So, um, uh, but I, I would pinpoint the linebackers for sure. Uh, this one is from Jake Johnson. From what have you seen, how are the players responding to Herm Edwards versus how were they responding to Todd Graham? Um, you know, Todd Graham demanded a lot of people. And Herm Edwards demands that you demand a lot of yourself. Uh, and some players like the first thing more. Some players like the second thing more. So I wouldn't say that there's a complete universal thing um, that exists right now. I would say if you ask the players about Herm Edwards, the, the one thing that you'll hear from every single one of them is that he's genuine. Um, I never didn't hear that about Todd Graham, but the thing that they'd say about Todd Graham is, you know, he's here molding us into men. Um, you know, <laughs> whereas Herm Edwards is more of a, hey, you go mold yourself type guy. You know, here are the tools, you build it. Um, but I, it's positive. It's a positive environment right now. You know, there's nobody out there on the field that I've seen, that I've talked to, even off the record, that say, you know, uh, Herm doesn't know what he's doing. We're not comfortable with him being here. Uh, pretty universally and unanimously liked by everybody. Uh, this one's from at True Playoff Soul Kid on Twitter. One of the reasons I did not like Herm the Herm hire was his in-game coaching or lack thereof in the NFL. How is this staff going to adjust in-game versus the likes of Chris Peterson and David Shaw? Uh, that's the question. That's the question that I can't answer until I see it. Um, you know, how well are they prepared to handle adversity? is Rob Likens, who I, I had a Q&A with. You can view that on devilsdigest.com. Um, how ready is he to make the necessary adjustments um, in-game? You know, he, the, these coaches are all about keeping things simple and really leaving it up to the players to ultimately make the plays that they need to make. Um, you know, I, the, the in-game adjustments and the actual chess match is the great unknown. It's the one thing that I think that a lot of people don't feel like they have faith in this coaching staff. Otherwise, why drop a team that's basically returning their whole offense to be, you know, last in the Pac-12 South, even though they went 6-3 and three in the Pac-12 last year? You know, why do that? And I think ultimately it comes down to they don't believe this staff can handle in-game adjustments and things like that. Well, guess who really had a hard time with over-adjusting? And you know, that was Todd Graham. So, I mean, it, you, would, you would have to go probably a long way to be able to match some of the last staff's shortcomings when it actually came to making uh, adjustments. The last staff was incredible at preparation. They knew what the other team was going to do before they even did it. The only problem is, you know, they, were, uh, they, they jumped the gun so much. A play would come in from upstairs. Todd Graham would change it on the way into the field, and all of a sudden there's miscommunication and big plays. So, um I think what a lot of people aren't factoring in is it, the in-game adjustments was really the weakest part of the last coaching staff's repertoire. Will Herm Edwards be worse than that? Probably not. Probably not worse than everybody, which was which was kind of what ASU was there for a while. So even if they do struggle in that area, uh, I, I don't see it being as big of a factor as it was when you know, ASU was predicted to go out and win a national championship or compete for a national championship in 2015 and basically faced just a ton of issues with in-game adjustments. Do I expect Herm Edwards to be on Chris Peterson and David Shaw's level? No. Do I expect Herm Edwards to be on Todd Graham's level of, you know, making so many errors with all the adjustments? No, I don't. I think I think it'll be fine. 
and last one, Lobo Jangles. I I love I love this question. Um, I always felt that Coach Todd Graham's uh, system was so risk averse that the players played tight petrified of making a penalty or turnover uh, when they didn't perform optimally. What do you think we should anticipate under the coach from Edwards' staff? Any signs of what to expect? Well, I just explained that Angel Ruiz um, from Sunrise Mountain, a walk-on freshman receiver who turned down his scholarship to Ottawa to come walk on at ASU, bet on himself. He just had just the absolute worst practice I've ever seen in my entire life. He hit a guy on an onside kick. He tackled Brandon Ayuk for no reason all the way down the field on a kickoff, and then he forgot to go in on punt coverage. And he just got, I mean, he he got ripped by the coaches three times in one practice, and at no point during any of those three times when he was getting yelled at by coaches was it anywhere near even the level of animosity you'd see, you know, Todd Graham have for a guy when he'd pull him out on national TV and curse the kid's mother right there on the sideline. Um, and I, so I agree. I think people were, there was a fear of failure, um, under coach Todd Graham. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of guys were able to overcome that fear of failure and really perform under pressure. And, 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 and in the pressure cooker that is college football, you had a team that had enormous discipline problems under Dennis Erickson, not really have those same discipline problems under Todd Graham. So the pressure is good. You know, the whole saying about pressure making diamonds or whatever, but yeah, there was a fear of failure, uh, I think. And now there's like freedom to fail. Um, ultimately, if you're making progress and you, you fail along the way, you know, at least you're still trying to make progress. So uh, definitely a complete uh, opposite thing. And then you never know. You never know when you add game stress in. Who knows? This whole coaching staff could turn into a giant stress ball that doesn't get along with each other, doesn't get along with the players. You don't know until you're out there and you face adversity on the field. Um, but from what I've seen so far, everything's just cool, calm, and collected. Uh, let's see. And I think we had one more question. Um, this one is from David Sveeland. Is the Vegas season win total of four and a half to five wins a bit too low? How many wins are you expecting for the Herm train this year? Uh, I will say that I think Vegas is screwing up right now. Uh, that four and a half win total, everyone's going to take the over. And when you, I think in gambling, the whole point is to get as many people on both sides so that if Vegas loses, Vegas mitigates that loss um, by ultimately cutting it down the middle. And if they win, they kind of take that low percentage. And Vegas makes their money over time. I, if I was Las Vegas, I would have set, I would have, I would have taken a little bit of a risk. I would have set the uh, season win total at six and a half. Because here's the thing. Not a lot of people gamble on over-under win totals unless they're actually fans of that team. You don't get a bunch of people coming out to Vegas to not bet on games. We so just turn around and bet on over-unders, you know, hoping they get some type of 12-week payoff out of their bets. You know, that's actually not something that happens very often. It's mostly the fans that are betting on whether or not their team is going to be over a specific win total. And I think Vegas is going to get their ass kicked on this. If, the, if, if you have online casino books and regular casinos uh, setting ASU at four and a half wins, this is a seven-win team. This is a seven-win team for sure, in my mind. And so, you know, four and a half, uh, Vegas is going to cost itself a lot of money. You put that win line at six and a half, I think you draw the money. I think you draw money from people who aren't necessarily affiliated with Arizona State. I think you draw a lot of bets on the under, 
especially with just the media speculation and circus surrounding, you know, people think that, that, that Todd Graham are, you know, would have been fine here and that Herm Edwards is absolutely going to sabotage the program. I think you'd had a ton of money pouring in on the under if you put it at six and a half. Um, and, you know, and I personally, you know, being affiliated and around this team all the time, I see this as a seven win team. I think, you know, Vegas could have made quite a bit of money. Um, by setting that over-under total at 6.5 instead of 4.5. If I'm you, I go out and I, I lay maybe 100, 200 bucks on, on over 4.5. You know, I'm not going to pay for your losses if they come, but I can tell you right now, a healthy Arizona State University doesn't have any devastating injuries to, I mean, ultimately Manny Wilkins uh, or more than one offensive lineman. You know, I, I really see this as a 7-win team at the very least. I do not see this team winning 9 games. But seven or eight wins is really where I have them projected right now. Uh, that's it. That's it for this version of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Ralph Amston. Huge, huge thank you to Mark Brand and the ASU Media Department. You guys are fantastic. Huge thank you to Hode Rubino for everything he does for me to allow me to cover Arizona State University. Uh, a thank you uh, to Taryn Adams. Fantastic interview. Demonte King, wonderful to meet you. Definitely rooting for you this year. Uh, and then Stephen Miller. Appreciate you opening up and just giving a fantastic interview as well. Uh, that's it for us. We will catch you next time. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town